Talk Radio. Renegade Talk Radio. An explosion has been reported at the Con Edison power plant in New York City. Power outages have been reported. This happened right on the heels of the Obama Netflix production, Leave the World Behind, a racially divisive movie about cyber attacks in America and the end of life as we know it. We are seeing ongoing cyber attacks across the country. Something is happening and I don't trust them. Everything I know I have told you. I don't believe you. I would do anything to protect my family. What you do is your business. And it happened just a few years after Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum told us it was coming. In 2020, Klaus Schwab of the World Economic Forum warned of an impending cyber attack that will take down all of society. We all know, but still pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services. Our society as a whole, the COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. Greg Reese reporting. Many Bothans died to bring us this information. You can see here the Great Awakening orbiting the Great Reset. Although the depopulation systems of the Great Reset are not yet fully operational, the Great Reset does have a strong conspiracy network. It is protected by a satanic shield, which can be disabled by the Great Awakening. The Great Reset must be deactivated if any victory for humanity is to be accomplished. Once the Great Awakening deactivates the shield, Infowars.com forward slash show will cover the truth while Infowarriors fly into the superstructure and attempt to knock out the Great Reset. Alex Jones has volunteered to lead the fighter attack. Get a signed copy of The Great Awakening today at InfoWarsStore.com. If you are an American receiving this transmission, you are free. I repeat, you are free. We're patrolling the streets. We're going to get you. We're the boogeyman. It's like... We don't take that here in America. No. The people that gave us all this freedom, paid for in blood, were not driven or shut down by fear. It was courage. It was bravery. What happened to Americans? What happened to American grit? This is American grit. This is InfoWars. This is the War Room crew. We're out here. The answer to 1984. 
1776. InfoWars has been banned. Arrested. Attacked and threatened. Because we are effective. The Great Awakening is here. Go to band.video. Download the videos and share. Support the information war at InfoWarsStore.com. And never give up the fight. InfoWars.com There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. How did this happen? Who's to blame? Well, certainly there are those who are more responsible than others, and they will be held accountable. But again, truth be told, if you're looking for the guilty, you need only look into a mirror. I know why you did it. I know you were afraid. Who wouldn't be? War, terror, disease. There were a myriad of problems which conspired to corrupt your reason and rob you of your common sense. Fear got the best of you, and in your panic, you turned to the now High Chancellor, and all he demanded in return was your silent, obedient consent. But if you see what I see, if you feel as I feel, and if you would seek as I seek, together we shall give them a fifth of November that shall never, ever be fought. While other networks lie to you about what's happening now, InfoWars tells you the truth about what's happening next. Welcome to the War Room, folks. I'm Chase Geyser, your host this afternoon, as Owen Schroyer is on his way to appear for a second time on TimCast. And with us today is a very special guest who you may be familiar with if you've been watching this afternoon, Mike Adams, Health Ranger. What's up, man? Hi, Chase. Hey, thanks for having me on. And Honor thanks and for, uh, for being here today. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's a pleasure to speak with you. So tell me, give me the 30,000-foot view. What, what's your story? How, how did this whole journey to get you on InfoWars as a guest, as a co-host, whatever. How did it oh, wow. begin for you? Well, I, I started back in 2003. So I've been doing this for 20 years. Okay. I started writing about nutrition and health and, and using healing foods and so on. I was really just focused on nutrition and health for many years. And then eventually, when you start going down that rabbit hole, you realize that, hey, there are a lot of uh, so-called authoritative sources out there that are trying to keep people sick in order to have more profits for big pharma and the, you know, the sick care industry. So eventually you're gonna clash with that, which I did, and I started getting a lot of censorship, and, but also expanding my knowledge about you know, governments and corporations and the real agenda. And I would say about maybe 15 years ago or so, I first came here as a guest with Alex. And ever since then, uh, you know, I've, I've been a repeated guest and, and host. I've done fill-in hosting for Alex quite a lot over the years. And, uh, you know, of course, I have my own studio and platforms and everything else, but I'm always thrilled to be here. And I always find that the, I do the best shows, like right here with Alex, because yeah. I, I have that back and forth. And, you know, Alex always apologizes for interrupting, but I actually think it's really good because it keeps you on your toes. And it's a really good dialogue with him. So I, I, I think we just did a great show, and I'm thrilled to be here with you to do another great show with you. So what sparked your interest initially in the health and nutrition? Oh, well, actually, it was... Uh, over over 20 years ago, I was borderline type 2 diabetic. Mm. 
And I was uh, borderline obese and I was suffering from chronic uh, back pain and major health problems at a relatively young age. And I learned that uh, sugar was a toxin, yeah. especially high fructose corn syrup. And uh, believe it or not, that was not common knowledge at that time. And so I learned about sugar. I took sugar out of my diet, stopped drinking sodas and so on. And then all of a sudden, everything got better. And I was like, Almost Whoa. like a form of keto. I'm not quite, I mean, you still have carbohydrates, but cutting out sugar is a major step in that direction. Yeah. And the phosphoric acid that's in right. sodas, you know, so you have the acidification of your entire body. But I was blown away. I was like, wait a minute, why isn't everybody being told this, that you should not drink sodas? And of course, you come to realize, you know, the corporations, yeah. they're influencing the USDA and the food pyramid guide and all of that. It's all about making money for the corporations. How much of that goes back to World War II? I know the farmers, agriculture was huge during World War II. We were shipping a lot of supplies and food to the soldiers. Then the war suddenly ended. Yeah. Does that coincide with high fructose corn syrup just suddenly being put into everything? Well, I, yeah, I, I guess it was around that time that more processed foods really came into existence because it was about also having long shelf life mm. uh, preservatives in the foods. But what you got to understand is that before World War II, there were no synthetic pesticides and herbicides that were used on any crops. I mean, so right. people were essentially eating organic, even though right. it wasn't called organic. And so that's one of the reasons why our grandparents or great-grandparents tended to have much better uh, health you know, they had better stamina, they had better longevity, they had better cognition and so on. They were just more active and they weren't getting exposed to all these chemicals. Uh, but today we're inundated with these chemicals unless you take, you know, special steps to avoid them. And which I do, like, you know, you saw my crazy smoothie here. I'm, I always have this. Looks delicious. Yeah, doesn't it though? But this is, uh, I don't know if this is on camera, but yeah, this is avocados. Uh, I'm almost done. This is my breakfast and lunch. This is avocados and flax seeds. There's a, there's an overhead shot. I know it looks gross, but uh, it's also got spirulina. And was chlorella. that thing full this morning? Yes, it was. Wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I already had a couple of trips to the restroom <laughs> to <laughs> eliminate all the water out of this thing. But, but th that's, that's what I do every day. I, so this has turmeric in it, okay? So turmeric, you know, is anti-inflammatory, and it, 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 I've never had a problem with blood sugar or type 2 diabetes ever since I started doing this kind of smoothie. Mm. And then what I've done as my mission over these years was to just share that information with everybody else in the world. And I got very heavily censored starting in about 2015. What was uh, the first thing that you were censored for? Because back in 2015, censorship was sort of in its early stages. Yeah. Well, it was, frankly, it was criticizing big pharma. Mm. So we, we now know that the pharmaceutical industry runs actually uh, their own kind of internal deep state uh, reputation assassination teams. And so did Monsanto at the time, before Monsanto was purchased by Bayer. So Monsanto, we later found out, had a million dollars a year dedicated to just discrediting myself and one other person known as the Food Babe at the time. That was, that was her name. And, but there were also 200 other journalists on their list to target and discredit, and including Reuters journalists and so on. And this all came out after Bayer purchased Monsanto. And Bayer found out this was their internal like dark arts division of Monsanto mm. that was all about destroying people who were questioning, uh, you know, glyphosate or herbicides or pesticides. Uh, Bayer shut down that division inside Monsanto. But of course, Bayer is an offshoot of IG Farben, which mm -hmm. was the Nazi chemical conglomerate that was found guilty of war crimes against humanity, by the way. So Bayer has its own, you know, sordid history that needs to be right. considered as well. But at least they're not running that same black ops 
uh, division. Well, they they were infecting hemophiliacs with HIV and hepatitis in the eighties. You got for it. Years. You got it. And I'm I'm a type A severe hemophiliac. Oh really? So I I know people. My doctor, all of his patients died in the eighties. I was lucky enough that I was born almost on the other, just right on the other side of the threshold oh, of wow. the medicine being contaminated. I was born in 1990. But from like 83 or 82 to 85, even when Fauci was involved at the NIH, they knew that the blood products, the medicine, was contaminated with hepatitis and HIV. Yeah. And I think 10,000 hemophiliacs died. Their mothers injected them with AIDS and they didn't even know it. You know, the, the whole history of uh, Fauci in particular, but also big pharma and medical experiments on human beings mm-hmm. is horrifying. I mean, it is a horror show of unethical behavior. Uh, And even to the modern day, of course, COVID so-called vaccine, which is another medical experiment that I believe is a genocidal bioweapon, right? You think we're all going to die from it? No, no. Well, that's what genocidal bioweapon means, right? Yeah, but but the genocide isn't completely successful. Okay. So I think they have killed at least 20 million people around the world right now. But I I actually think that weapon failed. Uh, I think they thought it would kill a lot more people. And it failed for a number of reasons. Number one, you know, the human immune system is pretty adaptable and, and more capable than they get right. credit for. But secondly, a lot of people learn the truth about things like ivermectin mm-hmm. and quercetin and zinc and vitamin D and whatever. And they were able to support healthy immune function. And a lot of people rejected the vaccines, right? So including myself and probably most of the people who, you know, who work here and certainly Alex. But because of that, they have to find different ways now to either starve us or kill us or exterminate us. And that's why there are all these different vectors of depopulation. And I didn't start out believing in any kind of depopulation agenda. Right. You were just trying not to have diabetes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I was just trying to be healthy, right. and not be obese, and not have pain and share that information with other people. But eventually, you know, the deeper you go down the rabbit hole, the more you realize they are trying to kill us. Why is it that nobody ever gets held accountable at these major corporations? It's like they get busted for these scandals, and there's a settlement and a lawsuit, and there's a payout, but nobody ever seems to go to prison. Like yeah. You knew that you were killing 10,000 hemophiliacs, or you knew XYZ was going to do ABC, and you're not in prison. It's the same thing with the, the, the big short, that financial crisis oh, yeah. that we had in 2006 through 2008. Nobody went to prison for that. That's right. Well, and, and Pfizer even when they're found guilty by the government, because frankly, every U.S. state has sued the pharmaceutical giants for price fixing, not even to mention, you know, clinical trial fraud. Uh, Are we going to break here? Oh, yeah. yeah. We're kind of breaking just about... I'll tell the story on the other side of the break then. That'd be great. Awesome talking to you. I'm really enjoying this. Stay with us, folks. Make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason that we are still on the air. More on the other side. I talk a lot about the great successes InfoWars has had. I don't think anybody can deny it. And it is because of listeners and viewers supporting us. But when we talk about the crew at InfoWars, people behind the scenes, the researchers, the writers, they really have been the MVPs in this fight. And when we look at Harrison Smith and Owen Schroyer and the hard work they engage in every day, five, six, seven days a week, it's really just incredible. So for myself and the whole InfoWars crew, I thank you for your past support. I only encourage you now to realize that InfoWars cannot stay on air if you do not support us. I know you spread the word. I know you pray for us. and That's wonderful. Keep doing it. But most viewers and listeners never go to InfoWarsStore.com and you never buy great products that enrich and empower your life while at the same time keep us on air. I know that less than 1% of our listeners actually go buy products at InfoWarsStore.com. If just 1% more of you took action and went to InfoWarsStore.com, our funding problems will be over. Please take action now. 
Why do you think the globalists are desperately trying to censor everybody? Why are they attacking myself and Donald Trump and Elon Musk and everybody else? Because they can't get through this giant megalomaniacal power grab if we're here exposing them. But we're not just exposing their operation. In my new book, we give you the solutions to build a new, better world, an alternative to Klaus Schwab's You Will Eat the Bugs. This is the Great Awakening. The plan to defeat the globalist and launch the second great renaissance. It's a companion to my last book that was a number one worldwide bestseller. And this book is even thicker and even more powerful. Get your copy of The Great Awakening today at InfoWarsStore.com. Either signed as a fundraiser, and I thank you for the support, or unsigned. But whatever you do, take action now. We're fighting for you, but we can't keep on if you don't support us. So please, get the historic book now. Go now to InfoWarsStore.com and get The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening at InfoWarsStore. The War Room. InfoWars.com forward slash show. Welcome back to the War Room, folks. Another great segment with our distinguished guests. So you were getting into Big Pharma being sued by several states for price fixing, and then we went straight to break. So let's take it off from there. Oh, yeah. I want to mention that, you know, it's illegal for corporations that have been convicted of felony crimes to do business with the federal government. Right. Well, almost every one of these big pharma corporations has been convicted of felony crimes, by the way. Right. Various ways. Uh, price fixing is just the beginning of the story. So what they do, and Pfizer did this, is they have a shell company mm. that they make a sacrificial lamb, a sacrificial corporation, to take the right. felony charge, right? So they'll have, you know, like Pfizer XYZ, mm-hmm. you know, incorporated in the Cayman Islands or something. Oh, that one takes the felony charge, and the DOJ agrees to put the felony charge on that corporation. Right, because there's no competitors, really. It's sort of, it's so conglomerated that yes. the government knows that if they can't do business with these three or four big pharma companies, there's nobody to do business with. Right, exactly. So so big pharma is too big to fail in the medical space, kind of like too big to fail in the financial space that you were talking about. Yeah. You know, with, with, with well, I guess Goldman Sachs wasn't too big to fail, but, but, you know, JP Morgan is too big to fail, right? Right. Wells Fargo, too big to fail, and so on. But- What's critical to understand is that these shell companies take the felony charges, and then the main company continues to do the same business and commit the same kind of crimes and the same kind of price fixing. I mean, I remember, uh, what was it, like a $2 billion DOJ settlement a few years ago with one big pharma company that was caught bribing 40,000 doctors across the country to prescribe its drugs. It was a massive bribery network. I covered this in detail. Well, you know, all these companies are still doing business. I mean, that was GlaxoSmithKline. Yeah. And GSK is still doing business. How is that possible? After bribing 40,000? Like, if you bribed 40,000 doctors, you would be in jail. Or if I did, right? Or if Alex did. But when Big Pharma does it, no consequences. They pay a fine. Business as usual. So how easy, based on your understanding and research in this space, how easy would it be for some of the most chronic illnesses to be permanently solved that just aren't things like cancer. Incredibly easy. Really? Yeah. Actually in, in the space where my expertise is, we consider early cancer to be easily overcome. Now I'm not saying that about late stage, you know, stage four liver cancer, whatever. Uh, Usually by that time, someone has gone through chemotherapy, mass poisoning, their immune system is shot. And at that point, their options are very, very limited. But in terms of catching it uh, very early, 
and then using anti-cancer nutrients and anti-cancer lifestyles and avoiding the pro-cancer exposures, which are very easy to do, frankly, if you're willing to change your, your diet. Uh, that's very straightforward. And I don't think that almost anybody has to die from cancer. It can be overcome with all kinds of systems of, of nutrition and traditional Chinese medicine. Now, there are things that don't work for cancer, like acupuncture. Acupuncture is not great for cancer. It's great for treating infertility, by the way, in women especially. You know, acupuncture can restore circulation and restore hormonal balance right. and things like that. But it's not good with cancer. There are a lot of anti-cancer nutrients. In fact, you can make them yourself for free by sprouting broccoli seeds. So there's one nutrient called sulforaphane, which, of course, has sulfur as part of the molecule. Sulforaphane is synthesized by broccoli sprouts as they're sprouting. And so you can actually just go buy broccoli seeds in a mason jar and have some water and a cheesecloth on top with a rubber band. And you just rinse it twice a day with water and uh, empty it out and let them sprout. You're growing anti-cancer medicine. Wow. And then you eat those broccoli sprouts or you put them in a smoothie like I do, and you're drinking anti-cancer medicine. And also it's anti-inflammatory. It's also a neuroprotective to protect cognition, right? Uh, but nobody in big pharma or government wants you to know that you can grow your own anti-cancer molecules for pennies. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so where does this space intersect with the transhumanist movement? Because on the one hand, they're sort of opposites, but on the other hand, they're very similar because longevity is sort of the goal, right? So do you encounter a lot of people in the nutrition space and the longevity space that just want to live forever and that's is that the ultimate ambition or how is it different from the transhumanists who there just are, want to upload their consciousness to the cloud that's a really interesting question uh, ray kurzweil is probably a good example yeah. of someone who takes a lot of nutritional supplements yes for the purpose of longevity so he can live long right. enough to upload himself to the machines yeah he wants to hang out with his dad that's, <laughs> yeah. Have you seen it? The Singularity no. documentary? He, no, his dad died, and he wants to live long enough that oh. he can duplicate his dad's consciousness and talk to him again. Yeah, that's freaky. It's freaky. Okay. Um, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to just live a meaningful life and, and, and then go on as God intended. You know what I'm saying? But I'm talking about quality of life. So yeah. as long as you're here, you know, you don't want to live in pain, and you certainly don't want to be, you know, uh, stuck and, and immobile. And you also, you want to have good cognition, you know, mm -hmm. good brain function, because otherwise you can't obviously navigate the world around you and everything just becomes overwhelming. Right. So what I teach is nutrition that does keep you active and healthy, pain-free, but also expressing your greatest self. So all the things that God put you here to achieve, you can't achieve those if your blood is all toxic, right. polluted. So yeah. let me interrupt you because we only have a couple of minutes oh, left yeah, and yeah. I want to get this question. In okay. Sorry. There. Yeah, go ahead. If Joe Biden were your client, mm -hmm. what would you have him do to fix whatever the hell's going on with that? Uh, retire and resign, first of all. And but he, seriously, like, oh, okay. like, if somebody exactly like Biden, if Biden came to you and needed help and you decided you were going to do it for whatever reason. You do a full profile of what he's eating and what are all his exposures to personal care products and Three chemicals and so on. Okay. <laughs> That's not a supplement I recommend, but it might be on his list. I'm not sure. But then you would go through that and you would say, okay, you know, what's probably causing your lack of cognition? Because by the way, right. some of that can be reversed. Right. I mean, Alzheimer's is not always permanent uh, or dementia. It's not always permanent. Forget about it. No, no, seriously. Some, uh, and you can restore neurological function. In fact, um, I, uh, you see this index finger right here? I almost yeah. uh, lost this finger, almost had it cut off. You can barely see the scar now, but it cut the nerves and the ligaments and blood vessels and almost lost the whole finger. That happened in May of this year. 
I regrew the nerves using an herb called lion's mane mushroom, oh, yeah. which I grow. Yeah. And so it synthesizes these molecules that actually regrow nerve tissue. And when it grew back, I ended up with about 200% sensitivity on the tip of my finger. So what you're saying is you're a reptilian. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> no, I hope not. But what I'm saying is humans can regrow nerves yeah. with the help of natural substances. When, and we know that neuroplasticity is incredibly fascinating thing. and powerful. So yes. it, it stands to reason that you could reverse some of these symptoms. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying that if you cut off somebody's head that you could regrow sure. their brain, but you can restore and heal neurological tissue. So if Joe Biden were treated with lion's mane mushroom, he might regain some cognition capabilities and realize that he's an occupier in chief and not the president. Wow. You know, <laughs> I mean, wow. that's one of the benefits of nutrition is to red pill the fake president into realizing he's the fake president. <laughs> that, that's that's <laughs> like a dream within that. a dream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So where can people find you, follow you and learn more about what you do? Which uh, you do? Well, my main website is naturalnews.com. I'm also the founder of brighteon.com, which is a free speech platform. Yeah, we know. use it every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all all the all your shows and Infor's shows are are there, which we greatly appreciate. It really rounds out the content there. But you know, we're just we're on Team Humanity, and that's why I love coming here and chatting with you. This is awesome. Yeah. It's the first time we get to sit Pleasure down to together and to join Alex today. You know, it's a real honor to be able to share all this information with the world. So, folks, uh, use good nutrition. Take care of your mind, your health, and your knowledge. And we can be part of the future success of human civilization. Absolutely. So good to meet you. Yeah, Thank you, you so too. much for coming into Thank the you. studio and speaking with me. I know you were on for a long time with Alex Jones. That was a great episode today. Make sure you guys check that out at band.video after this broadcast is over. And stick with us because we will be covering all the news on the other side. Back to the war room and taking calls in the third hour as well. In the meantime, visit InfoWarsStore.com and be the reason we are still on the air. When I say this, I mean it from the very bottom of my heart. I want to say thank you to all the viewers and listeners for supporting the broadcast over the years. We together have changed the world at an incredible level. And I want to salute the crew as well and all of our sponsors and supporters. Ladies and gentlemen, wow, the fight has really been joined with the globalist. And as we go into 2024, the most important election in world history, it is now more important than ever to get around the censors and override the globalists. So keep spreading the word about the broadcast. Keep sharing the articles and videos. Keep praying for the broadcast and our reporters and the crew. And shop at InfoWarsStore.com, where for Christmas, we have the biggest sales of the year, double Patriot points, store-wide free shipping, up to 60% off on products like BrainForce Plus, BrainForce Ultra, TurboForce is back in stock, X2 is back in stock, VasoBeats is back in stock, Body's Ultimate Turmeric Formula, it's all there. My new book, The Great Awakening. Do your Christmas shopping there, get great products, and fund the InfoWar. Thank you. Infowars.com forward slash show. Welcome to the War Room, folks. I am Chase Geyser, your host this evening. What an awesome segment that we just had. What a great guest. Mike Adams, ladies and gentlemen. Phenomenal person to speak with. I had a lot of fun. It was the first time I ever met him. Really the first time I ever talked to him or studied or explored his work and what he's doing great stuff and a super nice guy beautiful german shepherd he brought in so much news to cover this is the most content i've ever seen on my desk i've done the war room i've done sunday night live 
I've done American Journal a number of times, countless times at this point. And I've never had so many articles. And it's crazy because it's not even that big of a news day. But there's just so much miscellaneous random stuff going on as everything just gets more and more intense in this political climate that we're in. We've got Alex Jones coming back on Twitter, X. We've got InfoWars totally back on X. We've got Elon Musk and Alex Jones doing a spaces that was astronomical. Through my account, no less, which was a lot of fun for me. I got 15,000 followers just because Alex Jones spoke through my account for a couple hours on Sunday. And then we have all this happening while Donald Trump is way ahead in the polls. It's not even remotely close. Frankly, it's embarrassing how bad he's winning. And yet the mainstream media continues to push the likes of Nikki Haley and DeSantis as if there's some major rivalry between the two of them that's going to manifest in some sort of outcome other than Trump. I've never seen such interest in who's going to get second place in my entire life. Nobody ever cares about who's going to get second place. But for some reason, the media just wants to cover DeSantis, Nikki Haley all the time. And we're seeing this hypocrisy from the left where they just try to drag everything out. They did it with the racist accusations where they just drag it out and then everything becomes racist and they're doing it with the anti-Semitic stuff now and they're doing it with the sexist stuff and every single negative moral feature that one could possibly imagine just gets used and abused and stretched incessantly to the point where it becomes meaningless by the left. The most recent one was this insurrection on January 6th, which in the eyes of the left It's as if it's treason to tell the truth about what happened, which was that it was an inside job and the intelligence community provoked and stoked the flames of passion among some protesters so that they would break the law and then they were persecuted and prosecuted. Some of them sentenced to decades in prison. Some of them who weren't even there that day sentenced. And they use this all as an excuse to do this Hollywood style investigation on Donald Trump, this impeachment inquiry, this January 6th inquiry, this January 6th select committee of the most corrupt people ever. Basically, imagine what someone would look like if they drank a bottle of formaldehyde. And that was exactly how the select committee looked to me. They broadcast it at prime time for like a week straight. Maybe it was a couple of weeks straight. People only watched the first night, but it was just embarrassing how bad they wanted it to blow up, how bad they wanted it to be famous. This all after they lied incessantly about the Russian collusion hoax. Adam Schiff even today tweeted something like, oh, there's a new report out that Donald Trump had documents about Russian interference destroyed when he was in the White House. I just replied and I said, oh, so you're not making it up this time? Got it. How many times do these people have to lie to us before we realize that they're going to lie to us the next time, that what they're saying to us now is false? And they're trying to stretch this insurrection so hard, so far, that they're now declaring that mega Republicans are a threat to our democracy, that right-wing extremism or white supremacy is the greatest threat to national security, despite the fact that 10 million people at least have crossed the border illegally since Joe Biden became president. Over 70,000 of them apprehended from places of interest, terrorist countries. And that doesn't count how many got through that we don't even know about. 
But we're the greatest threat to national security. I tell you what, we are a threat to their security. And I don't mean their physical security. We don't advocate violence on this platform. But we are a threat to their established power. We are a threat to the offices that they hold now, that they seek to hold in perpetuity. But they're so self-righteous that they claim that anything that's a threat to them is a threat to democracy itself or freedom itself. It's like when Fauci said, I am science. There's, and they, they think Donald Trump's deluded. They think that he's this egotistical, delusional person. They literally think that they're science and democracy. And I saw this video today. We're going to run clip 16. This is Swalwell saying that these motions to impeach Biden for his crimes against the country, which there's substantial evidence for, that these investigations, these impeachment inquiries are an extension of the insurrection on January 6th, which, of course, we know wasn't really an insurrection. It was an inside job. It was a psyop. But listen to him talk about this. 16. This impeachment is a continuation of the insurrection that came here on January 6th. They have never, this gang has never accepted Joe Biden as the president. And the architect of the idea that you could overturn the election is the current Speaker of the House. And then Donald Trump sent that violent mob here. It didn't work. And so now we're here where they're going to try and use this House to overturn the election through this inquiry. The problem is they have zero evidence. The only crime is that Joe Biden blew out Donald Trump in the 2020 election. And that's a problem because this place is the largest law firm in D.C. with these lawyers working on behalf of just one client, Donald Trump, at the expense of everything else that matters. But I want to give James Comer some credit because after 50,000 pages of depositions and secret hearings and closed hearings, I think if we give him enough time, he's going to prove that Hunter Biden is Joe Biden's son. Oh, my gosh. So pathetic. We're going to run clip 30 in a second because he's criticizing the Speaker of the House. But he wasn't the only one that criticized the Speaker of the House today. We heard from Bannon regarding the Senate passing the NDAA, sending the bill to the House. So the Senate voted overwhelmingly Wednesday to pass the fiscal 2024 defense policy bill, setting up the sprawling $886.3 billion National Defense Authorization Act for House consideration Thursday. Senators adopted the conference report by an 87 to 13 tally. The vote came after the legislation cleared a couple of final hurdles, including a Democratic hold on the 3,000-page NDAA conference report in a protest of the bill's four-month extension of a controversial surveillance authority. But the speaker seemed to be in support of this. Let's, let's see what Bannon had to say in clip 30. The NDA just passed. It just passed. This is Mike Johnson. And don't tell me you're a Christian. I don't want to hear you're a Christian. Don't wear your faith. Don't give me the Bible. I don't hear more Bible verse. When you've allowed the transgender, you've allowed all that garbage... All that tra- demonic trash throughout the defense budget that you wonder why you wonder why you can't get you wonder why you can't get uh, that you can't get uh, kids, you know, red blooded American boys and girls to get into the military with what you've done in this neo Marxism and this cultural rot. That now you have taxpayers paying for in almost a trillion dollars and you allowed this to happen when the commitment 
the commitment. If you can't get the majority, the majority doesn't go to the floor of the hazard rule. But you waive that to get this there because you're playing footsie with Mitch McConnell, Schumer, and you're just as bad as the bun guys because you should know better. So I don't need to hear any more biblical review, okay? I saw in action. Yeah, he's absolutely right. And frankly, I'm appalled that aid to Ukraine is on the table at all. We hear our politicians always talk about how important it is to compromise, how important it is to reach across the aisle, how XYZ has bipartisan support as if that's a good thing. But really, that's just conspiracy. That's just compromise of integrity and values. That's selling out whenever they work together, these parties, this uniparty. And so the fact that he is negotiating, giving money to Ukraine in exchange for better border security for our border is just disgusting to me. The government should have to do that without any sort of deals or wheeling and dealing going on for a foreign war that should have nothing to do with the United States. More on the other side, folks. A lot of people have asked me, why is InfoWars Store and InfoWars Life not at a probiotic for more than three years? The answer is simple. We only bring you the highest quality to lowest prices. We had a top maker, top certified of probiotics for more than seven years. They got bought by a libtard company and said, we're not doing business with you, Mr. Jones, anymore. Finally, we got a probiotic just as good or better with a top lab that loves our show. We're able to private label it under InfoWars MD as our probiotic formula. So you can get a super high quality probiotic for amazing gut health and more at InfoWarsStore.com for 25% off right now. Now, wherever you get your probiotics, it's something everybody should be doing. But I'm asking you to try our probiotic. I think you're going to have an amazing effect and it funds our entire operation. So get your InfoWars MD probiotic today at InfoWarsStore.com. It's a high quality formula and it keeps us on the air. Take action now at InfoWarsStore.com. Why do you think the globalists are desperately trying to censor everybody? Why are they attacking myself and Donald Trump and Elon Musk and everybody else? Because they can't get through this giant megalomaniacal power grab if we're here exposing them. But we're not just exposing their operation. In my new book, we give you the solutions to build a new, better world, an alternative to Klaus Schwab's You Will Eat the Bugs. This is the Great Awakening. The plan to defeat the globalist and launch the second great renaissance. It's a companion to my last book that was a number one worldwide bestseller. And this book is even thicker and even more powerful. Get your copy of The Great Awakening today at InfoWarsStore.com. Either signed as a fundraiser, and I thank you for the support, or unsigned. But whatever you do, take action now. We're fighting for you, but we can't keep on if you don't support us. So please, get the historic book now. Go now to InfoWarsStore.com and get The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening at InfoWarsStore. The War Room. InfoWars.com forward slash show. Welcome back to the War Room, folks. It's like a cafe vibe going on in the control room tonight. Okay. Okay. We're sliding into the segment. No problem. Sliding into the Civil War. No problem. So this segment, I want to talk about this new movie coming out. It's called Civil War, which broke out its first trailer for Alex Garland and A24's tense dystopian epic. I like the Mashable coverage better than the... Forbes coverage, actually. 
A24's Chilling Civil War trailer sees America tearing itself apart. And the reason I want to talk about this is because I have mixed feelings about the trailer. The movie actually looks pretty good, but it's so obviously politically charged. It's so obviously going to be a propaganda piece that it just leaves sort of a bad taste in my mouth. But I want to show you this trailer, which is clip 17 here. And then I want to go into some clips that I pulled today, just coincidentally, not connected intentionally, of Klaus Schwab speaking about things like predictive programming, prescriptive programming, and this anti-system sentiment that the younger generations have, he complains about. But let's run clip 17 and just pay really close attention to this trailer. Don't think of it from the standpoint of, oh, does that look entertaining? Think of it from the standpoint of who is making this movie and why are they making it? What message are they trying to send in an election year? What are they trying to get us to do as Americans? Let's go ahead and run it. 19 states have seceded. The United States Army ramps up activity. The White House issued warnings to the Western forces as well as the Florida Alliance. The three-term president assures the uprising will be dealt with swiftly. Let me know if you want to try anything else. I'm just aware there's like a pretty huge civil war going on all across America. We just try to stay out with what we see on the news. Seems like it's for the best. Citizens of America, the so-called Western forces of Texas and California. As if Texas and California would ever side up with one another. the hands of the United States military. Mr. President, do you regret the use of airstrikes against American citizens? We're moving to D.C. today. We need to go down there. They shoot journalists on sight in the Capitol. Every instinct in me says this is death. What if... Every time I survived the war zone... I thought I was sending a warning home. Don't do this. But here we are. There's some kind of misunderstanding here. What? Well, you're American, okay? Okay. What kind of American are you? You don't know? The Western forces will reach the White House on July 4th. Oh, my God. Get in the car! Get in the car! Move, move, move! You're going to hang back. I'm not hanging back. One nation under God. Indivisible. With liberty and justice for all. God bless America. All right, so there's a lot going on to unpack in that trailer. First of all, the production looks amazing. It's got a outstanding A-list cast. But there's obviously some very intentional messaging going on here. That makes me uncomfortable. The first thing I notice is that Apparently from the trailer, the hero of the story is a journalist, a young female journalist who's braved so many different war zones and took it for granted that such a thing could happen in this democracy, as I'm sure she would describe it. That was mentioned in the trailer. Second thing is this sort of menacing looking antagonist 
in that really epic scene where he interrogates them as to what type of America or which type of American they are is obviously a second amendment advocate rogue kind of guy. So they're setting up anybody who owns an AR 15 or any sort of military rifle as a domestic terrorist. The third thing is there's this president of the United States who is Ron Swanson. We all think of this guy as a Republican because of his role in Parks and Recreation, where he was like a Republican's Republican. He's forever embedded as the bacon-loving, leftist-hating, government-hating Ron Swanson. And so he's in this movie as this sort of Trump right-wing figure. He's bombing Americans who are attempting to secede. For some bizarre reason, Texas and California have teamed up in this secession. And I think the whole purpose of it is to imply that Donald Trump and right-wing extremists are domestic terrorists and to imply that if we elect Donald Trump to, presidency, to the presidency, that we're set to have a civil war like what we see in that movie. And I always struggle. This is a, an ancient debate as to whether or not art makes culture or culture makes art. So is this movie coming out because it's responding to a zeitgeist or is it coming out because it's trying to create a zeitgeist? Is it trying to shift the sentiment in the country or is it resonating with an existing sentiment in order to make as much money as possible? And obviously they scheduled it very intentionally to come out right before a primary election in a major presidential election year. comes out in the spring of next year, 2024. And so it seems to me that they're setting this up intentionally as a sort of propaganda piece to try to get people emotionally to abandon Republicans, Republicanism, Americanism, patriotism as this sort of terrorist activity. And it lines up perfectly with what Schwab said here in clip 21. Let's go ahead and run clip 21 where he's talking about not just predictive programming, but now he uses the expression prescriptive programming where they're trying to actually determine what you're going to believe and what you're going to do rather than just predicting what you're going to do so they can surveil you now they want to determine it with this prescriptive programming in clip 21 so technology now is and uh, digital technologies mainly have an analytical power now we go into a predictive power and we have seen the first examples and your company very much involved into it but since the next be in, to go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you you do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what uh, predict, and afterwards you can say why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. Wow, what a wonderful human being! So they're talking about prescriptive programming. They're coming out with this epic looking movie in the spring right before an election that's very obviously about very real people and designed to evoke an emotional response conducive to their political agendas goals and then we see this other documentary coming out and this is going to take us straight to break can we run clip eight god and country now they're attacking us for being christian nationalists let's go ahead and run it America and Christianity are like baseball and apple pie. 
and we celebrate them together. I was 16, 17 years old when I became a Christian. I'm an evangelical minister. I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm a Christian nationalist. I have nothing to be ashamed of because that's what most Americans are. Is Christian nationalism Christian? Um, no, it isn't. Oh, it isn't. I guess we should should trust you. Blazing forth as a countercultural example. And instead, we're leading the charge of malice and division. Christian nationalism uses Christianity as a means to an end. That end being some form of authoritarianism. Please. Being a Christian is about the values of inclusion. Christian nationalism is certainly not based on the values of the gospel. God wants America to be saved. They're told over and over and over again that you're in danger. You need to fight if you don't want to lose your country. We are in a civil war between good and evil. This is not a movement about Christian values. This is about Christian power. What happens to the people who don't believe this stuff? Come on, they're trying to make it sound like we're going to manifest we are on the precipice. God is on our side. We're taking our nation back. The thing that keeps me up at night is that we lose democracy. Does that seem possible? We're not yes. supposed to be a democracy. Christianity at its best. Yeah, so that's enough of that. So. We've got this prescriptive programming. We've got these documentaries coming out saying that Christian nationalism is a threat to democracy, a threat to our safety, that it's a terrorist activity, that people are using Christianity as a means to power in this country when our entire culture is very antagonistic to Christianity. So if you really want to be popular and successful these days, you would think that you would do the opposite, right? More on the other side, folks. We'll be getting into the weeds with this in the next segment. Please remember, my new book, The Great Awakening, is going right to number one. It's all, it's already number one on a bunch of charts. Plus, it funds this operation. It's twice the length of the last book. It's full of solutions. It's amazing. The Great Awakening, the plan to defeat the globalists and launch the next great renaissance. Infowarsstore.com. Get assigned copies of fundraiser. I thank those that have. I want to ask others that want to keep us on here to do that. That's the action point. Please go to Infowarsstore.com. Get a signed copy or unsigned copy at Infowarsstore.com. Assigned copies like... 30 bucks, $29, a signed copy is 100 and that's what it takes to fight the globalists. We have storewide free shipping, including on the book, double Patriot points, and X2 selling out, but still discounted, Turbo Force, 10 hours clean energy back in stock, so many other great products like Down and Out Sleep Formula, a Vitamin Mineral Fusion, DNA Force, it's up to 60% off. Do your Christmas shopping with us, and we appreciate you. These are great products that work really, really well. Infowarsstore.com. InfoWarsStore.com or 888-253-3139. Welcome back to the War Room, folks. I'm Chase Geyser, your host this afternoon. Keep in mind, folks, it is Friday, which means it's payday for many of you. It was payday here at InfoWars. And I'm told that today is the last day that we can guarantee any orders placed at InfoWarsStore.com will arrive by Christmas. Now, if you place orders later, the likelihood that they will arrive by, by Christmas is very high. But this is the last day that we know for sure that if you order anything, you'll get it by Christmas. So if it's payday for you, and if you're thinking about getting gifts for yourself, friends, and family for Christmas, make sure you visit InfoWarsStore.com right now and order today to ensure that you're guaranteed to have those products at your door 
in time for the holiday. So we got into the weeds a little bit with this zeitgeist that is being manufactured by globalists, these internationalists. They're setting anyone up who believes in any sort of state sovereignty, individual sovereignty, national sovereignty as a right-wing extremist. This civil war is obviously between these sort of maniacal looking serial killer looking right-wing extremists of course white guys against journalism itself and it's perpetuated by a dictatorship that is obviously very conservative as well and that's all coming in the context of klaus schwab coming out and talking about prescriptive programming and then we see this other documentary that we showed in the last segment of this god and country trailer For this documentary about the woes and the evil that is Christian nationalism. Saying that it's undemocratic, saying that it's not Christian to be a nationalist. They say Christianity is all about Big Ten, everybody's welcome, inclusive of everybody. And that's true to a certain extent. Grace does abound. Christianity can save anyone who believes. It's inclusive in, in that regard. But you got to keep in mind that the kingdom of God is a nation in and of itself, and not everybody's going to be permitted to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, right? The way to the kingdom of God is narrow. The black sheep and the white sheep will be sorted in judgment. So we've got some pretty serious border policy happening in terms of the kingdom of God in final judgment. But for some reason, it's not Christian to advocate that our nation have a border. So after all, there are some people that we would be happy to have here. And there are some that we wouldn't like to have here, similar to God's kingdom. There's some people that he would be happy to have there and some that are not welcome. It's not for us to determine who, as far as the kingdom of God's concerned, but to say that it's anti-Christian to believe in borders is pretty much the antithesis of the message of God and his son. He provided a way, a legal path to citizenship. And the only way to get into the kingdom is the one way through the son of God, Jesus Christ. That is how you legally immigrate to the kingdom of God. And if you try to get in illegally, if you try to sneak in, if you beg to be let in, but you haven't gone through the legal process, sorry, you can't come in. That sounds a lot like Republican border policy here in the United States. And I don't know how I feel about Christian nationalism because I'm a Christian and I'm a nationalist. So I like both of those things, but I believe in the separation of church and state. I don't want the day to come where the state is telling me what denomination of Christianity I have to adhere to or what specific doctrine I have to believe within the theology of Christianity. So I am tolerant of religions that I despise and I believe in freedom of religion for religions that I despise in this country because I cherish my own ability to believe and worship how I want to think what I want to say what I want about these issues surrounding the human condition and the nature of the universe and God and what it means to be a human being. So Christian nationalism, to me, rings this sort of marriage of church and state that I'm not quite comfortable with, but I believe that we should be a Christian nation and our culture should have consensus around Christ. More on the other side. 
world order. What kept you? We are running some old friends. Is the ship all right? Seems okay if we can get to it. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Harrison, visit InfoWars.com forward slash show now. I hope that old man got the tractor beam out of commissioner. This is going to be a real short trip. Okay, hit. While other networks lie to you about what's happening now, InfoWars tells you the truth about what's happening next. Visit InfoWars.com forward slash show today. Welcome back to the War Room, folks. I'm Chase Geyser, your host this evening. Quote, I am angry. Black scholar who says Harvard president plagiarized her work is livid as fifth example emerges. Harvard president Claudine Gay has now been caught plagiarizing five academic papers, nearly half of her entire scholarly output, a sin that would seemingly be fatal for anyone else in her position. One of the academics who was plagiarized, former professor Carol Swain, is pissed after Harvard gave Gay a pass on what would have resulted in severe punishment and or expulsion for anyone else, as Town Hall's Christopher Rufo reports. She said, I rarely get angry, but I am angry right now about the racial double standards that are temporarily giving hashtag Claudine Gay an opportunity to resign. White progressives created her and white progressives are protecting her. The rest of us have had to work our rear ends off. So we're going to go into a couple of different details about this. First clip I want to show you is clip number two. This is a leftist interpretation of what's happening here. They, of course, made it racist to even suggest that this woman should be expelled or kicked out of her position because of Basically, it's academic fraud, which is a major no-no. I mean, most universities, if you get caught doing something like that, you're not going to graduate. You're going to get expelled. I know that was, that was a serious thing when I was in college. Nobody did that. It was just way too risky because if you got caught, you were done. But apparently there's some sort of immunity going on here. Go ahead and run clip two. Oh, absolutely. So they're using um, the guise of of pretending that this is about concern over anti-Semitism, which is, of course, something that all of us should be concerned about. It's really just further their propaganda campaign against, um, you know, racial equity. So when you think about the fact that Harvard, this nation's oldest university, had about a 370-year explicit racial quota of only hiring white men uh, to be the president, um, it's laughable to think that the first ever black woman um, following that unbroken line of white racial quotas is the one who's unqualified. I mean, this is kind of the beauty of how racism works. If you are black and you don't achieve, if you don't succeed at the highest echelon, it's because you're lazy and you're not Pause smart it for enough. a second. If you do achieve... Nobody is saying that she's unqualified because she's black. They're saying that she's the president of Harvard because she's black and that she's not getting fired because she's black because it's anti-racism. It's racism the other direction. I have no problem with black women and black men being leaders of major 
businesses, major universities, teachers of our children, leaders of our churches. I don't care about race at all. Which is why it baffles me and bothers me so much when I see time and time again, example after example of companies publicly coming out and bragging about their policies to meet any racial quota because there's no such thing as a racial quota that isn't racist. That's the whole point. You're picking races over other races. So when white people did it, it was wrong. It was terrible. Only white people can be in this club. Only white people can join this group. Only white people can lead this organization. Yeah, that was racist. That was wrong. It's also wrong when you say, hey, half the board of directors has to be female and of color. When, yes, half the population is female, but only 13% of Americans are African-American or black, whatever the politically correct term is. So we need to... Why does everybody forget so easily about MLK. Obviously, we shouldn't just be totally colorblind and neglect and disregard culture and backgrounds of various people. We should observe whatever's true whenever it's true, always, about anything. But when you're creating these quotas and when you're determining who gets a position based on their race, that always manifests in greater problems solutions. It always creates even more bitterness and racism. These positions should be about whoever is best for the job, regardless of who they are or what immutable characteristics they have. I don't care if you're a black woman and you want to be the president of Harvard, but I just hope that if you're hired as the president of Harvard as a black woman, that it's because you were the most qualified, best person for the job, which I believe is possible. I have no doubt in my mind that a black woman could be the best person for the job. But I don't want you to be hired because you're black. Just like I don't want you to be hired because you're white. At the inverse example. So we've gotten into this identity politics so much that we've forgotten the entire moral principle and philosophy behind why racism is evil to begin with. We've gone so anti-racism And we politicized it so much and we've catalyzed it so much that we've actually forgotten why racism is evil in this country. After the Civil War and the 600,000 Americans who died in a war over slavery, in part over slavery at least, large part over slavery. After the Civil Rights Movement and all the terrible things we saw of people of color being hosed down as they wore Sunday's best in peaceful protest. After the different water fountains that we saw and the remarks about whether or not you could intermarry and the segregation, all the terrible racism that was very real and actually racist and unjust, the lynchings, the KKK, the terrible stuff that happened. And we compensated for it the other direction, which was great. But then we kept going. And now it's starting to arrive at an unjust place again. The other way. Obviously, it's impossible to be colorblind or blind to someone's gender. It's impossible for human beings not to categorize anything that they observe. That's how we think. It's our, our mind is structured to operate that way. There's always going to be prejudice. There's always going to be stereotype. So I'm not saying that, oh, I don't see black or I don't see women versus men or I don't see gay versus straight. Of course I do. Everybody does. And if you say you don't, you're lying because you're just trying to virtue signal. But you can observe the different immutable characteristics of people without 
acting immorally in response to it. I can observe a beautiful woman without having an affair. You don't have to do, it's not unjust to have an observation or to notice something that is true. And so this idea that we have to observe these immutable characteristics and make decisions as to who gets what opportunity, who gets what income based off of these immutable characteristics, logically always is and always will be, must be racist and bigoted. And whenever you say that, the first thing they say is it's impossible to be racist against white people. That's just not true. Obviously. Let's go ahead and keep running the rest of the clip. You do achieve and you do succeed and you do rise to the top of your profession. It's because you didn't deserve it. So as uh, Toni Morrison said, this is all really a distraction. Um, Chris Rufo is is not a serious person. Um, He he is a person who has been trying to attack um, what he calls DEI, but really any efforts to address racial inequality. Um, He has explicitly said that he does propaganda work. um, And the fact that we're all talking about it means that he's being successful. What do you make of the fact that, you know, there were all these university presidents who were criticized. She wasn't the only one. Uh, But the other presidents weren't criticized because they were women. They were criticized because of things that they said or did. Uh, She is being singled out as someone who is only surviving because of her race. What did you make of that? Well, it's racist. I mean, we have no but one. But why else would she still have the job? If you plagiarize five academic papers and you're the president of the most prestigious university in the history of the United States of America, you're fired, right? When I say this, I mean it from the very bottom of my heart. I want to say thank you to all the viewers and listeners for supporting the broadcast over the years. We together have changed the world at an incredible level. And I want to salute the crew as well and all of our sponsors and supporters. Ladies and gentlemen, wow, the fight has really been joined with the globalist. And as we go into 2024, the most important election in world history, it is now more important than ever to get around the censors and override the globalists. So keep spreading the word about the broadcast. Keep sharing the articles and videos. Keep praying for the broadcast and our reporters and the crew. And shop at InfoWarsStore.com, where for Christmas, we have the biggest sales of the year. Double Patriot points, store-wide free shipping, up to 60% off on products like BrainForce Plus, BrainForce Ultra. TurboForce is back in stock. X2 is back in stock. Vaso Beach is back in stock. Body's Ultimate Turmeric Formula, it's all there. My new book, The Great Awakening. Do your Christmas shopping there. Get great products and fund the InfoWar. Thank you. What would you do if there was a tyrannical, totalitarian world government taking over whose plan was to kill 90% of the world population and they were already beginning to do it? You would rally against it, you would fight it. And that's what we're doing. This is the reality of 2023. I just want to thank listeners and viewers for your last year's support and want to encourage you now more than ever to spread the word about the broadcast, to pray for the broadcast, to take clips and share it from the broadcast, and to buy products that enrich your life at InfoWarsTore.com. We have the signed or unsigned copy of my new book, The Great Awakening, The Plan to Defeat the Globalist and Launch the Second Renaissance. Twice as long as my last book, incredibly powerful, signed or unsigned, InfoWarsTore.com. And we have X2 finally back in stock after over year infowarstore.com we have turbo force 10 hour clean energy back in stock and a bunch of other great products as well so please visit infowarstore.com and do your christmas shopping there fund the infowar and get great products all at the same time 
Infowars.com forward slash show. Welcome back to the War Room, folks. I'm Chase Geiser, your host this evening. We've been getting into this controversy around the president of Harvard who has been caught plagiarizing half of her academic work, something that would have an academic professional ostracized in almost any other example. Let's see what Joe Rogan had to say about it. He covered it. I thought this clip was pretty funny. Clip 13 here. Rogan talks about this plagiarism. It seems very obvious to me that this is hyper-politicized and not based off of any genuine sympathies or appreciation for this woman's academic prowess. Let's go ahead and run the clip. Ooh, that the lady baby. from Harvard is the F. Rufo. I do not know his background. Writer, City Journal, Senior Fellow, Manhattanist, Dave Smith. teaching and lecturing at Hillsdale, <laughs> New by York. Smith. <laughs> followed by Dave Smith. So maybe he's legit. Either <laughs> complete fake account. It says real. Or... Scroll back again. Real Chris Burnett and Brunette. And I have obtained documentation demonstrating that Harvard President Claudine Gay plagiarized <laughs> multiple sections name. of her Ph.D. <laughs> thesis, violating Harvard's policies on academic integrity. It only violates its policy if it's actionable. Yeah, so she lifted an entire paragraph nearly verbatim from a paper. Again, we don't know if this is true. We're just saying what this Christopher F. Rufo guy is uh, tweeting, and I haven't researched it at all. By While passing way. it off as her own paraphrase and let, okay, so she lifted an entire pa uh, paragraph, near, go back so I can read that please, uh, nearly verbatim from a paper, Lawrence Bobo and Franklin Gilliams. Now, this is uh, something one could do on accident. And language. This is a direct maybe once, maybe twice if they're just really bad at editing. I can understand how somebody would copy and paste someone else's work into their document and then change it and adjust it and eventually delete all of that content for whatever is being manifest. I've done that before where I've taken content that I really like, put it in a Word document, and used it as a frame of reference for something original that I'm creating. But the fact that she did it five times is indicative that it was intentional. She did it on purpose. It was academic fraud. And who cares? You, know, you, you plagiarize on a paper... I don't really, it's unethical, it's terrible, whatever. You just shared what somebody else said, I mean, practically speaking. But the fact that you do that and you're leading this prestigious institution, some of the most impressive, both good and evil minds in the history of the United States have gone through the halls of Harvard and so this is a person that's supposed to be leading the future of the best, leading the best into the future. And she's obviously a liar. And it's not even the fact that she's a liar alone that is the issue here. But the issue is that she wasn't competent enough as a scholar to come up with something original herself that would be substantial enough or impressive enough to justify her current position. So she stole it so that she would look good. She stole somebody else's song so she could have a hit on the radio. But whenever that happens, there's always a lawsuit 
and the thief always loses, but for some reason she's she's just immune here. And it's not just these Ivy League schools either. This starts at the lower levels. It starts with the elementary school teachers. It goes all the way up to the high school teachers. Then it goes to the college professors. Then it goes to the administration. This is indicative of a systemic problem. You want to talk about systemic problems here. I'm not talking about systemic racism. Maybe systemic anti-racism, but systemic dishonesty and wokeness and just politicization of how we teach and how we lead generations into the future. Getting a good education now is more important than ever. Unfortunately, you can't get one at a university anymore because they're so political and they're so dead set on lying to you in order to prop up this intelligence community pushed narrative of wokeness and DEI and ESG and climate change and leftism good, right-wing bad, that you can't get a good education at a university anymore. I mean, I went to school to study audio engineering because I wanted to work in recording studios. And I took classes where I was receiving political lectures countless occasions. When I'm supposed to be learning how to solder a mic pre together, I'm hearing lectures about politics or I'm going to student government mandated training from the administration on microaggressions and how as a white man, I'm inherently racist in the little things that I do that are unconscious, subconscious, not even intentional, are offensive and racist because it's installed in my DNA that I'm a morally inferior person because of my whiteness. That's what they taught me at Belmont University. And the student affairs department mandated this microaggression training for the student government leaders. So I get elected student body president by the students. And then the administration comes down on me, top down, to tell me that I'm racist? Let me tell you something, folks. Not a lot of black kids at Belmont University. You want to talk about systemic racism? I don't think the students were the problem. All right? So... Let's just look at these two examples. It's not, it's not even about this DEI stuff. It's not even about this, this racism stuff. Let's run clip 22 of this teacher talking about all the propaganda and paraphernalia in their classroom. This, this was absolutely disgusting. Clip 22. What's up? Let's do a tour of my inclusive classroom. Starting off with the social justice word wall we will be growing throughout the year. We did our identity maps and what is identity? A large collection of books. More books. Your taxes. Here is our math studio wall. brainwashing. More books. Oh, a pronoun poster. A shocking pride flag. Yes, because love is a human right and everyone in this classroom matters. Our schedule wall. More inclusive picture books. Pronoun mascot. Supply and work area. Project stations. Oh my goodness, inclusive posters. Books. Couch. Books. This is our growing calm center. Basically, the only thing I don't see in this video is anything educational or worthwhile. And it's not just these random TikTok examples. Let's run clip. 11 as well this school board elected official took their oath on basically pornography let's go ahead and run it repeat after me please 
Carl Frisch, I, Fairfax County School Board. I, Carl V. Frisch, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear that I will support now, the I Constitution Now, I saw some images from this this book, which are inappropriate to show on the air. The they are cartoon drawings that are absolutely explicit. It's it's pornography, literal literal fellatio going on for kids, and he's swearing his oath in the school board on these books. I wanted to show you and like maybe blur it out, but I just didn't want to look at them long enough to actually edit them. I didn't want to deal with it. It was so disgusting, and it's 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 just so indicative of the rot in our culture. That we've gotten to this place where we're electing people to school boards. We're hiring teachers that are sexualizing and brainwashing our children into a specific, very unhealthy, frankly evil and un-American political philosophy that's only going to wreck the future of freedom and sovereignty in the world. More on the other side. So all these new listeners aren't buying stuff at Infowars.com. They're tuning in. I need the regular hardcore folks that have never gotten a film, a book, a water filtration system. They're all the best out there at InfoWarsStore.com. Do your Christmas shopping with us or part of it. Don't fund the globalist. InfoWarsStore.com. X2 back in stock, which is selling out. Incredible. Learn about iodine deficiency. Learn why we have the best. Good, clean hour. Incredible energy. Nobody's got a formula this strong or clean or powerful without hardly any letdown. It's so strong it has some letdown. TurboForce. InfoWarsStore.com. Or 888-253-3139. TurboForce. X2. Vitamin Mineral Fusion, DNA Force Plus, Down and Out Sleep Support. The list goes on and on. Info War Store Christmas Mega Super Sale. Sells up to 60% off free shipping and double Patriot points. Shop now. Infowarstore.com or 888-253-3139. Infowars.com forward slash show. Welcome back to the War Room, folks. I'm Chase Geyser, your host this evening. I'm hearing rumors from the crew that Owen Schroer may be calling in for a segment to chat a little bit. It'd be great to hear from him. And hopefully we'll get to some of your calls in the next hour as well, so keep the phones close by. Normally I don't like to read entire articles or long articles on the show, but there's so many details in this particular story that I'm going to read quite a bit of this. So... Miss Taylor, 26, is identified as the staffer who was paddleboarding with Barack Obama's chef, Tafari Campbell, in unsealed Secret Service records that also describe the chaotic scene as agents scrambled to save him. So, newly released Secret Service records show how agents attempted to rescue Obama's personal chef when he fell off his paddleboard in Martha's Vineyard. His body wasn't found until the next morning. These records show the chaotic early moments as agents scramble to try and rescue Barack Obama's personal chef in Martha's Vineyard, struggling to get a motorboat into the murky water with just 15 minutes of daylight. So I'm not hearing that this water was described as heavy flowing or rapid or dangerous or treacherous. I'm hearing that the sun was up and the water was murky. So maybe if he was underwater, it would be hard to see him. But why did he drown? I mean, you, you can actually swim in murky water, you know. If you know how to swim. So agents tried but failed to get two motorboats on the property working. Finally, they had to use the groundskeeper's motorboat. But you're trying to start a boat when somebody's drowning? Why, why wouldn't you swim out? 
but it was too late. Tafari Campbell, 45, never surfaced the night of July 23rd, and his body was pulled from Edgartown Great Pond the following day. So Judicial Watch successfully sued the Department of Homeland Security to obtain these incident reports, but they were heavily redacted and sort of mirror the statements that we already have. But a couple more details here. One agent, John Crunkleton Jr., recalled Campbell and the other staffer leaving the president's residence on the way down to the water. They picked up two stand-up paddleboards and proceeded to the water on the Edgartown Great Pond. Approximately 20 to 30 minutes later, while in blank, I saw blank running toward me from the northwest, blank, waving her arms frantically at me. I ran out of the booth and met her midway across the lawn directly in front of the residence. She collapsed on the ground and stated that Tafari had drowned. She stated that he fell in the water and struggled for a couple of seconds before giving up and sinking underwater. The incident report continues. She had pushed one of the paddleboards toward him, but he was unable to grab it. So he just fell off and decided to drown? This is really, really bizarre. Campbell had been paddleboarding with a woman, another Obama staff, uh, staff member, when he fell off his board and drowned in Edgartown Great Pond on July 23rd. She was identified in Secret Service records as Miss Taylor, a staff member. So there's like no reasonable explanation. There's no rapids. There's no, he hit his head and he was unconscious. And so that's why he drowned. He sat up with Taylor, the other paddleboarder, as she led them to the drowning site. This is the agent. About a quarter mile away, she explained that Campbell didn't have a life jacket and was wearing black shorts and a black shirt with no shoes. Search commenced approximately 7.45 p.m. with the sun setting just after 8 p.m. So there was little time. It doesn't make any sense. So the reason I wanted to cover this story, just not, not only because it's so bizarre, is because I had an awesome conversation with Gavin McInnes. That was maybe a couple of years ago now. And we were talking about the Clinton death count. And I'm no fan of Barack Obama, and I don't think Gavin McInnes is either. But one of the points he made, which at the time seemed like a a fairly reasonable point, was that there's all these people, dozens of people, some estimates over 70 people associated with the Clintons that have died of mysterious causes. At least a dozen that are definitely wonky. Including one of Clinton's chefs, I believe who also drowned. And McKinnis makes this point. It's like, hey, you don't really hear about that around the Obama family. And the point was, something bizarre is going on because if there was a reasonable explanation for all these deaths, these mysterious deaths around the Clintons, then you'd see the same mysterious deaths around all the other presidents. There, there would be a list of dozens of people associated with Bush and the other Bush and Trump and all of them, it would just be like a thing, sort of like the six degrees of separation where, hey, look, if you're at that level of leadership and you know that many people and you have that many people working under you, statistically, maybe it's reasonable that a certain number of people die of mysterious causes and it gets reported and people are aware of it. Maybe there's a disproportionate amount of attention on you because of who you are. And so that's why we notice it. But traditionally, it hasn't been true of the other presidents like the Clintons. And watch what he said. It didn't age well, but I, I texted him this after I heard the news of Obama's chef, and he laughed. It, it, it's hysterical. Let's go ahead and run the clip. 29. Dude, I did a deep dive research on all this mysterious deaths around the Clintons. So there's 70 that people talk about, but there's 12 that are just hard to shake. The yeah. guy with the weights that where they fell on his neck and crushed his windpipe. What? I've never heard of that. The, the chef 
who drowned in this much water in a creek? What's Obama's death count? Where's Obama's chef? I'll tell you where Obama's chef is. He's making a BLT right now. He's alive. Well, that didn't age well. He's not alive anymore. And why is it that they both die of drowning? That's such a bizarre thing. Obviously, he was comfortable swimming if he was paddleboarding at night wearing just a shirt and shorts. And it was really too early. I mean, it wasn't even dark out yet. So saying that he was just trashed or drunk or passed out on drugs is unlikely, given the context that we have, assuming that the context is even true. Maybe the whole entire thing is just totally made up. But it seems to me that we have a political class that loves it when people who know too much die of mysterious causes. And it's always sort of, if it's not a shotgun wound, to the stomach and the head and hanging yourself, it's always asphyxiation. There's almost like a serial killer, right? Serial killers are famous among psychiatrists and psychologists. There was a whole show called Mindhunter that was on Netflix for at least one season about how the government formed its initial profiling documents around serial killers so that they could understand the psychology of serial killers and then that would help them identify and find these perpetrators sooner than later. And there's a couple of things in common that they have. One of the things is that usually it's a white guy in their 20s. Usually they're very tidy and neat. Not always, but usually they have a, a little bit of a tendency for just obscene amount of order. Uh, usually, let's see, what else was there? Usually they return to the scene of the crime and they have a tendency to kill their victims or treat their victims in a very similar way every time. So they've got a strangulation thing or they've got a stabbing thing or they have a shooting thing, whatever. There's some sort of fetish associated with that. Why is it that when we look at these mysterious deaths around our politicians, whether it's Obama's chef or Bill Clinton's chef, or who was that Clinton-affiliated guy who shot himself with a shotgun and then hanged himself? And then, of course, Epstein... Why are they always hanging themselves? Why are they always literally just strangled? The life is just strangled out of them. And maybe the explanation for that is that it's easier for some reason to get away with killing somebody. If you strangle, there's no murder weapon, less evidence. But I'm pretty sure an autopsy could determine whether or not somebody was strangled. But maybe it looks the same as if they hang themselves. So it's just a good cover. But there's like this profile around the assassinations committed on behalf of the political class that makes it seem like there's this sort of sick, satanic, demonic psychology behind these acts that it's not only an act of psychopathic pragmatism. Okay, I'm just doing this because it's necessary. But there's something to it that it's fulfilling to those who make the order or actually do the act. Because they're always happening in the same way. They always happen years later without a lot of connections. And it's always sort of embarrassing and just sort of offensive how they play these things off as just totally normal when all the evidence is so bizarre. But it's as if there's one evil consciousness that's behind all of these political killings. And that to me just suggests that it's, this, it's an orchestrated actual evil entity operating the political class has taken on a consciousness but not a conscience and it is getting off on eradicating all of its enemies in this fetish way more on the other side 
Please remember, my new book, The Great Awakening, is going right to number one. It's all, it's already number one on a bunch of charts. Plus, it funds this operation. It's twice the length of the last book. It's full of solutions. It's amazing. The Great Awakening, the plan to defeat the globalists and launch the next great renaissance. Infowarsstore.com. Get assigned copies of Fundraiser. I thank those that have. I want to ask others that want to keep us on there to do that. That's the action point. Please go to InfoWarsStore.com, get a signed copy or unsigned copy at InfoWarsStore.com. A signed copy is like $30, bucks, $29. A signed copy is 100 and that's what it takes to fight the globalist. They have storewide free shipping, including on the book, double Patriot points, and X2 selling out but still discounted, Turbo Force, 10 hours clean energy back in stock, so many other great products like Down and Out Sleep Formula, Vitamin Fusion, DNA Force. It's up to 60% off. Do your Christmas shopping with us. And we appreciate you. These are great products that work really, really well. Infowarsstore.com. Infowarsstore.com or 888-253-3139. I have been in a 28-year marathon battle with a globalist. I have come from nowhere to the very heights of politics, not just in America, but in the world. We are engaging the globalists at point blank range in the information war. But I don't deserve the credit. Yes, I've persevered, but the listeners and viewers who support InfoWars are the real reason we've had the success. We're having now the greatest victories in the fight against the New World Order we've ever had. We are now entering the final mile of the marathon. And that's why today it's more important than ever to realize how important you've been in this fight and to continue in the efforts you've been carrying out and to intensify them. God bless you all. I salute you. I thank you. And I beg you to intensify what you're doing now because we are over the target and history is happening. The fight is my fight. It's your fight. It's our fight. God bless you all. Infowars.com forward slash show. Welcome back to the War Room, folks. I am Chase Geyser filling in for the great Owen Schroyer, who I believe is going to be calling in in the next hour, but we're not certain. He's traveling today because he is going to be on TimCast. I'm not sure if his episode airs tonight. I imagine that it does. So make sure you tune into that later on after this broadcast is over. I had a great time on TimCast as well. I was very, very impressed with their whole operation over there. They fly you out there. They pay for your your hotel. They even give you a driver, and they pick you up. And they take you to the airport. It was it was royalty. It felt pretty cool. I, I felt like a big shot. They make you feel like a big shot, and I know that I'm not, but it was a really neat experience, and Tim was really nice, and it was so Nice to finally get to meet Ian Crossland, whose podcast I was on the other day as well. And we had a great conversation. It was a groundbreaking day in terms of the news. What was it that broke that day? I can't remember. It was just, it was a really, really big deal. And so it was a really cool episode. It was on a Monday night. And it was right after all this drama going on overseas that's obviously designed to get us into World War III. And there's more evidence that Congress actually wants us to get roped into these wars because they do everything they can to make it illegal for the United States or make it as difficult as possible for our nation to declare itself independent of the international community. I mean, it's the whole reason we had a revolution in the first place was so that we would have some sort of sovereignty and independence. And now we've signed our way back into indentured servitude to the international community. But 
really our politicians don't serve the international community. We serve the international community as slaves to our politicians who get kickback on these contracts and this aid, and that's why this globalization is occurring. So Oklahoma governor signs an executive order effectively banning DEI in all state institutions, which is great news. But we see this other report that Congress is making an effort to make it illegal for any president to single-handedly, unanimously get us out of NATO. So as I understand it, and I'm not an expert in legal theory, but as I understand it, one of the roles of the executive branch, one of the roles of the president of the United States is to negotiate trade deals and relations with the other nations of the world. That's the job. And so when you have members of Congress advocating that it become illegal for the president of the United States to unilaterally get us either into or out of, out of in this case, any sort of foreign treaty, it really softens the executive branch. It really gets us tied in and more and more entrenched in this red tape of internationalism, globalism. And as a layman, initially, when I look at our behavior with these countries overseas, it doesn't make sense on the surface because I'm thinking like a normal human being. I'm thinking like a business owner who's trying to provide for his family, try to make ends meet, try not to be wasteful. I'm thinking like an individual, reasonable person thinks about money. And so you look at all the billions of dollars we give to Ukraine and the billions of dollars we give to Israel and the billions in aid we give to miscellaneous countries and miscellaneous communities, many of which I've never heard of before. There are some of them quite obscure. Anytime any sort of earthquake happens or tsunami happens, there's millions and millions and millions of dollars. Like our government is so desperate. Every single time we have to negotiate a budget and negotiate raising the debt ceiling, they're so desperate for cash. But then whenever the smallest tragedy happens, they spend the money like immediately. I'm sure you know what it feels like. I know what it feels like to go through good times financially and then bad times financially. I think a lot of people are struggling right now. What happens when you struggle? Well, you cut spending. I have spent probably 15% of the money, the discretionary spending that I spent four years ago, three years ago, just because things are tighter now. Money's more important. I got a family to take care of. And so why is it that our government's acting so broke all the time and they're always having this impossible debate and argument about the budget every single time? The government's going to shut down. The government's going to shut down. The government's going to shut down. But then when they pass the budget, they just spend all the money. It doesn't make any sense, right? But then when you look at the fact that our politicians on $175,000 a year somehow have three houses and they're flying on private jets all the time, And they're having this luxury life, this royal experience all the time. They wear the nicest suits. They travel all over the world all the time. They have the nicest things. They have the nicest experiences. They live like kings and queens. Like, wait, they must be making money some other way. Well, a lot of our politicians, they're they're business owners too, right? So maybe they're rich because they made a lot of money as a small business owner And that's why they have these private jets and stuff. It's not anything to do with Congress. And then you look and you're like, no, what did did Dan Crenshaw do other than be a congressman? What does AOC do other than be a congresswoman? What does Nancy Pelosi do again other than 
trade stocks. And you realize that the whole scheme is our politicians get elected and whoever the House majority is leader is or whoever the House minority leader is, either one, determines who's going to be on what committees. And so all the politicians immediately sell out to the establishment party because they want to get put on the committees they want to get put on. But why do they care so much about whether they're on X community versus Y community? Why do they care so much whether they get on the transportation committee versus the defense committee? Well, that's because the way they make money is they've legalized insider trading. They cannot be prosecuted as members of Congress for insider trading because they have to sit on these committees. They have to know what's going to happen next to get these classified reports before the public is aware of them. That's part of the job, right? And so what they do is they sell out to whoever the leadership is in the party, Mitch McConnell's, whatever, Chuck Schumer's. They sell out to them so they get placed on the committees that they want that are going to be the most lucrative for their insider trading racket. Then once they're on those committees, they get information that keys them into what to buy, what to sell, and they also get to determine what to vote on, and they know how that's going to make an impact on the market. And so they do insider trading for term after term, for year after year. And they make millions upon millions of dollars. And on the surface, it's like, yeah, so what if they know something and they invest and they make a little extra cash? Well, that's not all, folks, because what happens is every time we give money to a foreign government, if we decide that we want to help North Korea for some reason with its electrical grid infrastructure... If we decide we're going to send U.S. contractors over there, if we decide we're going to send water bottles and food supplies to Haiti after a tsunami or an earthquake or whatever, our politicians are often personally invested in those contractors that get the government bids to fulfill those contracts. So our politicians are so eager to spend our money Because the more of our money they spend, the more kickback they get on the investments that they make with their insider trading. And then when they run out of money, they always have this debate as if they're broke, and they are broke, but they always want to increase the debt ceiling because their racket doesn't work if the government stops spending. So, like I said in the beginning of the segment, we, as the American people work for this international community as slaves of our own political class. They force us to pay taxes to work for them. Then they spend those taxes in these international interests, these globalist interests, whether it's foreign aid, whether it's climate change initiatives, whether you name it, anything that happens at the WF, NATO, United Nations. And they're invested in the organizations, the businesses, the contractors who fulfill the services and the products that they push internationally. So they get the kickback. They launder our tax money through them. So we work as slaves for our political class for the benefit of the political class and the international community. And that's how globalism has come to pass. That's the incentive. That's why our politicians want to make it impossible to leave the UN or to leave NATO. They want to get as many people who are like-minded and as many nations involved as possible, like Ukraine. And they want to expand this racket so they can all use it as an excuse or a justification to to spend their various peoples, these various nations' peoples, 
tax money and get kickback on the investments and make millions of dollars. How is it that Klaus Schwab is the leader of the World Economic Forum when there is no demonstrable evidence of any of his business prowess or success? Why is this guy the leader of the World Economic Forum if I can't for the life of me name a single thing he's actually accomplished other than being the closest thing to a Bond villain I've ever seen in my life? I can tell you what Elon Musk has accomplished. I can tell you what Bill Gates, of all people, has accomplished. I can tell you what Steve Jobs has accomplished. I can name successful people that lead major organizations that that makes sense. But I can't explain for the life of me how Klaus Schwab came out of nowhere, how Nikki Haley came out of nowhere. Well, it's because they're propped up by the establishment, folks, to steal our money and enslave us for a globalist agenda. If you ever take one piece of my advice, it's get a bottle of X2. It's been sold out for over a year because we wouldn't cut corners and because it's so hard to produce. We finally have a limited run back in supply at InfoWarsStore.com. So many people have serious issues. Look at the UN's own numbers. Billions have cognitive disabilities because they do not have true nascent iodine in their bodies. Most of the other iodine is bound to other heavy metals or bound to other elements so you don't download it. But this is pure atomic certified iodine. X2 is now back in stock, discounted. So I'm giving Thanksgiving right now for this product being here. It funds the info war. But I guarantee you, you take this for a few weeks, you will feel the difference. It is amazing. It's the missing link. X2, back in stock at the end of 2023 at InfoWarsStore.com. X2.